0: and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Engel.
1: And I'm Scott Corelli. And today we're talking about Minute 15, which starts with Burke saying that they don't even know what's going on out there and ends with Burke uh, telling Ripley that he has read her psychaval.
0: Yeah. And we're back again with, uh, with Lindsay Romaine. Thanks for coming back again today for your last day on Alien Minute, at least for now.
2: For now. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: Um, Scott, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, we you've been here all week, guest hosting with me, What what makes you think that you can come on a podcast and talk about alien? <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> um, kidding. What's your background? What's your background with the alien? What, what kind of a fan are you?
1: Um, I think, uh, I, I think generally I'm an, I'm an often on, like I, I will be a casual fan for years and then I will. Out of nowhere, just sort of like rediscover the movies again, and then become obsessed for like a solid six months. Um, I I I'm like you, John. I saw Aliens first. Uh, I probably saw it on TV, most likely, uh, like on a Saturday afternoon or something. And uh, so that means that I probably saw the director's cut first, which might be why I uh, have. I, I'm, I'm more accepting of the director's cut um, than maybe you are because didn't they do the director's cut for television first? I, I don't
0: remember, but it was 92. It was, I I think they released it kind of in preparation for alien, alien three. Uh-huh. I, I feel like it was part of the promotional machine there. So yeah, I mean, it could be, I, I imagine there's probably tons of our listeners who've never even seen the theatrical cut. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Right. So yeah, I think, you know, if you were, you know, if you're under the age of, 35 you probably watched the director's cut first I think Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so I watched I watched uh, aliens uh, first on television really loved it and you know I think I was watching it with my dad and probably asked him like what what it what is what is this you know because it's called aliens there's nothing about it that screams that it's a sequel really You know, they they do a pretty good job of, like, setting things up and and establishing everything that happened in the first movie that you don't necessarily have to have seen that movie to understand anything. So I didn't understand that it was a sequel until my dad explained to me that it was a sequel and that he would never, ever watch the first Alien with me because it freaks him out. So I didn't see Alien until I was probably in high school, probably around the time that Resurrection came out. I would have saw Alien and Alien 3 for the first time at that point. And then I saw, I think, Alien Resurrection with like a bunch of friends and things like that because it was super easy to see because if I'm not mistaken, it was PG-13, right? Oh, was it? Yeah, I think it was.
0: I don't think so because it doesn't – Alien Resurrection? I think she says, who do you got to fuck to get off the ship or something like that? That's, or is, was that the one? Give me maybe for that one. I Yeah, it could be. I, I ignore. I, I, don't,
1: I don't remember. But I do remember seeing that one in theaters. That was the first one that I saw in theaters. Yeah. And so like around that time, that was sort of like the first time that I got really uh, had one of my sort of obsession spurts of the of the movies where I was watching all of them uh, a ton, tons of times. Um, and yeah. And so they it would just go, it'd be on and off, you know, I would learn something that would drive me down a rabbit hole and I'd watch them all again. And, right. um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'd call myself, I guess, a casual fan, but every once in a while I'll, I would, I'll dip my toe into the pool of obsessiveness, um, with these things. So. Well,
0: what about you, Lindsay? What's your, what's your story behind Alien and Aliens?
2: Yeah, mine's really boring and probably would offend a lot of the super diehards, but I actually watched them all for the first time when I was in film school in college. Um, I had never seen any of them. I was familiar with the Alien brand, uh, but I just had never actually sat down and watched them. And it was one of my, I think, I don't remember what class, a production class maybe, where we had to watch the first film, watching it, like thinking of it as a haunted house movie. I had never even heard that comparison made before, which that really intrigued me. And we had to like pay attention to sound cues and stuff like that. And so just watching it in that class, uh, I was fully obsessed with it and ended up watching all the rest of them and not liking (laughs) any of them as much as I like the first two. Uh, And I haven't engaged much with, with anything outside of just the main films. So yeah, but I've seen the first two a lot. And I actually think in going back and looking back at it i think i probably did also see aliens too first maybe like long before that just not in the context of anything and also probably just on tv i was a huge um bill paxton fan <laughs> uh-huh. uh, i was kind of a joke among my friends i was like in love with bill paxton so <laughs> i definitely at least seen <laughs> some of it because of him at some point but yeah i hadn't like sat down and watched them in you know in order
0: so you watched alien in a class yes and all the way through, or did you get stop and talk about it
2: all the way through? I so okay. school I went to, we had three hour long classes, so all of our film classes were really fun because we would just watch a movie at the beginning and then discuss.
0: Yeah, cause, well, you know, the impetus of the show was was Mitch. Um, I was I had already left school, but Mitch showed Alien in one of his classes, and I just crashed the class so I could watch Alien on the big screen.
1: Oh wow! Because
0: he actually teaches his classes in a movie theater, and we we're able to actually watch it on a proper projection. But um, I was thinking about another class he taught—a screenwriting class that I had with him, where we actually watched uh, *Silence of the Lambs* over like a three-day period, and I wondered if it wasn't—I would love to watch. I mean, obviously, that's what we do on the show, kind of, is stop and talk about the little increments. But that'd be interesting to do in a uh, in a film school setting mm-hmm. to actually watch *Alien* that way too, and then have a big group discussion about what what it is you got out of this scene or that scene, whatever. But
2: yeah, well, actually, one of my other classes, uh. I, I wish I, I don't don't remember the name I didn't graduate from film school. I only was a film major for like a year, but um we ended up one of my classes we did um aliens or alien three. we like followed the production of the whole film throughout the whole class. That was like what we focused on. so wow. we read all the like working scripts for it, and then kind of like just each class was going through like how they picked the script that they did and all of the stuff down to like how they ended up like with the cinematographer. It was a really interesting class, but unfortunately I don't really like alien three. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't I a, don't
0: either, yeah. but, but the, well, the best thing about alien three to me is the story of its making by far. Yeah. To me, I'd much rather watch out an extensive documentary about that, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. There's enough of our listeners that already, uh, strongly disagree with me about alien 3 and the assembly cut and so on. So, anyway, I guess we should get on with aliens though since that's the movie at hand. Yeah. So, we're in the middle, we're still we still got Burke trying to talk um Ripley into going back to LV-426 and we specifically have Burke doing it. Gorman doesn't seem all that interested, do you guys agree?
2: Yeah, he's just kind of sitting there.
0: <laughs> he's just fiddling around. He kind of seems unwilling even when asked to chime in. Mm-hmm. He just seems like, yeah, 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 we, we can do this. It's, it's cool.
1: I don't think he agrees with coming to her. Um, I don't either. I, I think it's a, one of those situations where he's this, you know, this military guy. And he's like, why are we coming to some civilian when we can just go there and kill whatever the problem is and then leave? Like, I don't know why we're even here. What does it matter?
2: Right. That kind of furthers that theory. We had the, you know, it's probably a mission to get rid of Ripley and he just doesn't know about it.
1: So what I was
0: gonna say, like is Burke in charge here? I mean, who has who's the ranking person in the room here? Cause Burke says specifically, I would like you to be there. He doesn't say we want it, we want you to be there. I mean, this is a company thing, isn't it? That's yeah. that's why Gorman isn't up to speed, right?
2: Right.
1: I don't know that Burke is necessarily in charge. It feels like sort of a joint operation where the company wants someone representing them on this mission that they're working with the the Marines um, to uh, execute, and I think that he's being the uh, representative of the of the Marines by coming here. Um, but he doesn't I don't think he really understands why they're there or why they need her. Uh, and I and I think that, you know, like Lindsay said, I, I, I think Burke knows and he doesn't feel uh, the need to share that information because it's irrelevant.
0: Well, you're not going to share it with Gorman of all people anyway. Right. I mean, we find out he seems like a he seems like he could be a competent enough guy here. Right. We don't get any hints at what he really is. Mm-hmm. Which I think is good. We should think um, – maybe that's why Burke told him not to say – don't say too much. Talk when I tell you to talk. I <laughs> I do think, though, as as a representative – it's not so much as Burke in charge over Gorman as it is, is the corporation, is the company in charge over the Marines. And I think they are. I think we're in a corporatocracy here mm. is what I'm getting at. Because as – as you see, as the movie goes along, the Marines kind of do are doing the the company's bidding, right? I mean, they seem to be more stooges for the company than they are uh, a government entity or or an independent entity. So that's why it, it, it's just the the way he's phrasing things, the way Burke is phrasing things here. Gorman doesn't speak until he's asked to, and and Burke keeps saying, "I I want you to be there," and I think he's speaking for the corporation. But, you know, to me, I think that's what we're hinting at here. We, we have a very isolated specific situation in Alien where we're just talking about these guys. Uh, sorry, these, these uh, space truckers and how they relate to the company. But we're broadening the world here a little bit, I think. I think we're getting this weyland Dutani, We're starting to see more of the logos around. We're starting to get the idea that this is an all-encompassing company. I mean, they even have, you know, we talked about it last week with uh, Jason when he was on the show the establishing shot of the space station has dropships flying around with missiles like ready to deploy. So it seems as though they're guarding the space station that seems to belong to the company. So I I think it's interesting that we're getting a little hint of that here, just in this conversation, just with the the verbiage here.
1: Uh, Burke's condescension is at such a level that it's actually painful to listen to. (laughs) Yes.
0: No, it's, and intentionally so, I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, I've dealt with this before. I'm pretty much a lifelong uh, uh, hospitality employee. You know, I I write, I do a lot of things on my own, but how I make cash is as a server in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, like Burke, uh, they don't look too highly on that choice of a job. They don't see it as a real job. And they would say, they'll hint at things almost like he's saying, and he's using it as a tactic to convince her to go on this mission. But man, it sounds so familiar to me. this like, Oh yeah. Well, Oh no, no, it's fine. If that's all you can get, but uh, yeah, it's cringeworthy. I've been there.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, like, even if we didn't know that Burke is like a dirtbag, he ends up being like the hero or something. I would just hate him forever because of this scene. He's just mm-hmm. like, so unlikable. And if, like you said, if you've been in that kind of environment work wise, you, you just know the type and you know how slimy, that is and how how much it does kind of erode your self confidence too just so you can see Ripley kind of breaking a little bit as he says these things to her uh it's getting to her,
0: and that hurts a little bit right? Yeah. do you not get because I'm a little I hate to put it this way I mean I've been there, I sympathize with her, but I'm a little bit annoyed with her for putting up with it like it's Ripley. You're not supposed to take this shit off the sky. And it, it, I think it's a good way to feel though. At this point in the movie, I'm not saying this is a flaw by any means. I'm not saying Ripley should get up like up in his face right now. She is in a low position. That's where she should be right now. But man, it does. It, that's very effective. I think is that it makes me feel that way. I'm like, come on Ripley. What are you going to let him talk to you that way? I think it's a great way to feel as an audience member at that point.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. There, there's that line specifically when he calls her kiddo. Oh, that goodness. it's that I, I just, the first time. yeah, yeah that I just, I want her to respond by saying like, I'm 84 years old. <laughs> like, sh-
0: shut up. <laughs> it's, it's amazing that that line is not in this movie. I, I yeah. think that that would definitely, if aliens were being made today with, um we have a different perspective on how to talk to women. Now, I think a little bit, at least <laughs> not everyone, of course, but, I think that just the fact that these discussions are more in um, our culture now, I think that that would definitely be a line. Like, like there would be a "Don't talk to me that way" moment in this movie, mm-hmm. and I think that would be the exact line. Like, <laughs> it would have to be, like, "Quick, call me kiddo, asshole." I'm 84 years old. Just, right. I could hear that coming out of her mouth. But yeah, I think in 1986, this was this was unfortunately still fairly normal way to talk to a woman. it bothers the shit out of me we talked about that a lot too because he does it in the in the hospital room too
1: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah there's nothing worse i i still get called kiddo sometimes by people and it just is like the fastest way to piss me off it's just so condescending
0: i mean it's like humphrey bogart calling lauren bacall kid you know in a movie i mean for crying out loud that was 70 years ago let's Mm -hmm. let's get on with it already (laughs) it's like Female does not equal lesser in age or even the implication of lesser. Anyway, we don't don't have to explain it to anyone. It's just frustrating.
2: In job settings, especially, it's just like a quick way of sort of asserting power by like calling your younger employee a kiddo.
0: I always took it, you know, in the speaking of the Humphrey Bogart thing, it's something, you know, it's a little off topic. Maybe it isn't. But I always took it all those guys were so much older than the women in those movies, right? Like it was always Cary Grant and some young ingenue or Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. I never thought of it as being that uh, sexist thing in those movies. I always just thought, no, it's because he is a lot older than her. But now that I think about it, you know, and these days and you see people still doing it, I'm like, Oh no, no, no. That's, that's not what that is at all. That's actually a demeaning way of talking to someone. Uh, But of course, Burke's a slime ball. So,
2: Yeah. And it's sexist even then, and it's sort of weird implications because they were hiring like, you know, 55-year-old men to have like 19-year-old love interests. It's just right. like a sick thing that's still...
0: Yeah, I remember for a long time, because I, I always watched classic films growing up. Uh, I watched tons of them, and I would see this. And I had this idea in my head, even on television, you got the idea Ward Cleaver was quite a bit older than um, than June, and so on and so forth. On those old fifty sitcoms, you always kind of got the idea... And I thought, oh, I guess back then, older men married younger women. And that makes absolutely no sense. My grandparents were like two years apart. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, they gave you that idea that back then that's what it was. It's like the older guy and the young, he's always got a young, you know, hot wife. And I didn't real, I thought it was normal, yeah. you know, for that time period. And I didn't realize that it was just sexist thinking, you know, ca- sexist casting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The old man's okay, but the you know, got to have a hot young woman if she's over 25 or over 30. Mm-hmm. Anyway,
1: not only is it sexist to call her kiddo, but it was sexist hiring that actress in the first place. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so it was, you know, there was a lot of sexism going on. Um, I, I do, I have to point out, like, as, as cringe worthy as this scene is. Uh, Paul Reiser is so good at playing this character. Oh, yeah. Uh, Just the the, not only being condescending, but also being condescending in a way where he's playing it off like, hey, look how likable I am. Mm -hmm. It's just there's a there's a not a lot of actors would be able to pull that off just right. And there's so many people in the real world who are exactly like that, who are like, oh, I'm a nice guy, but this is how I talk to women. And it's cr- it, it just it's such a good performance. And it's something that I think that he tried to shy away from this kind of character for a while. And it's just recently that he started playing characters like this again. I know he's one of those characters. There's an Amazon show that he's on um, where he's basically playing Burke, not in a science fiction setting, but he's basically playing this kind of 80s yuppie character. Hmm. Um, and he's great. He's great in it.
0: I didn't. I I don't know anything about that. I haven't. Paul Last thing Paul Reiser was in that I can think of was
1: Whiplash. Um, uh, yeah, I, he's I it's Red I Oaks. I think it's, a, oh, it's a, okay. a. Yeah, it's a show about a eighties. Um, uh, it's set in the eighties and it's a country club in New Jersey. And he's uh like a lawyer um, that mm-hmm. uh, goes to the country club and is uh, basically Burke as like a you know. 55 pushing 60 year old guy now. Right. In the eighties. So,
0: well, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but Paul Reiser, I think he's naturally disarming as as just as an individual, he's just kind of a charming guy. I think that's why his career worked out the way it did. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in that way, it's good casting just to have a guy who's kind of naturally disarming and then just slather on a bunch of schmarm, and you'll, you're kind of dueling. Like it's, it's better than having an already kind of, uh, Schwarmy guy also saying all these things it would be too much we need to have him seem a little disarming so we're at least a little conflicted about the character Um, otherwise when he does what he does later in the movie it's not going to be any kind of surprise or any kind of disappointment or not that i don't i don't know if exactly is anyway but at least at the beginning here uh, or at least at the first scene that he's in in the hospital room we feel a little bit like "Eh, he might be an all right guy it doesn't last too long but
1: uh, to go to go back to the coffee uh from yesterday. Oh, let's minute. talk more about coffee. Yeah. So uh, I love the detail of uh, there's there's two two things going on. I think because one I love that when he flips into condescending mode, he instantly takes over her apartment by going and getting cream for his coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, he just starts acting like he it's his place. Uh, and so he sort of takes control of the of 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 her area um while also being condescending and so it just adds another layer layer of just like oh god this guy makes my skin crawl um but i wonder if there if there if that's all there is to that moment or is the fact that he's the only that he he needs to put milk in his coffee mm-hmm. and uh ripley drinks it black if there's anything to that
0: I, that's what I think. I think that there is something. For one thing, we're back to dynamism in the scene. We needed another, you know, something to cut through the frame again. We needed them to interact in a different way. Mm-hmm. So having him just get up and walk across the room when he's going through this whole shtick is got a practical purpose as far as blocking is concerned. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's something to say. Um, whether James Cameron said, oh, yeah, we need to show this guy. He's a creamer. He's a coffee creamer kind of guy. <laughs> I don't know if he thought that, but that's something I think when I watch this scene. I'm like, oh, he's the kind of guy that can't take it. Right. He's the kind of guy that it's too bitter for him. I mean, it's been if sugar were visible in a coffee cup, it probably would have been sugar. you know. Mm-hmm. But in this case, we see he's a watered-down guy. He's the guy that has to cut the bitterness mm-hmm. a little bit. So, yeah, I do think that there's something to be taken out of, and it could very well have been intentional. But yeah, I think that's a good call. Good, good notice there.
2: It might even, you know, maybe since we're just deep reading the the sort of gender roles here, too. I mean, it's sort of a people think that like women can only drink their coffee with, you know, cream and sugar and make it all sweet. And the fact that Ripley's drinking hers black and he's not is an interesting just gender commentary, too. Oh, definitely.
1: For sure.
0: And it was you know, there's a lot of that in Alien. There's multiple times where we get these gender swaps in Alien uh, to the point that a man gives birth, uh, you know, right. to that extreme. But this could be just a hint at that as well. I think that's a good call, too. But, yeah, that's what, you know, we do see that. She's, she much, she's much more in charge as the movie goes on. She's much more capable. And, you know, I think the, this idea, as subtle as it might be, of the coffee being uh, black or with cream, so it could say a lot. It could be a little bit of foreshadowing to that, yeah. You know?
1: mm-hmm. And and as Lindsay pointed out yesterday, we wouldn't know any of this had the had the mugs not been glass.
0: Exactly, that's a good point. Maybe, man. I mean, that's something you'd almost want. You wish you could ask somebody, you know, that was there. If they could remember that detail, say, well, did did Cameron actually say, because, you know, the one of the things that bogged this movie down that made it such a hard production was that Cameron kept stopping to change small details all the time. He kept micromanaging every little thing, which is what you're supposed to do as a director. It drove those uh, union, British union (laughs) film worker guys who go off work at five o'clock crazy. But. He did, and it could be very well be like, I want him to put cream in the coffee, and I need to be able to see it. Let's switch to glass cups. We're going to have to shut down for two hours, whatever it was. So I could see that for sure. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, that's that's a good call again. You know, who knew that this these coffee cups uh, and the coffee would have so much rich material for us to talk about? Kind of amazing.
1: I just really love coffee, you guys. I, I do, too. <laughs>
0: we should just uh we should do a weekend show just about coffee maybe guys if you're up for it (laughs) i'm down man i think i i don't think i have anything else do you guys have anything else
2: um no i guess just the the sort of punch at the end is when she mentions that she had her psych evaluation already and he says you know oh yeah i've already read it (laughs) it's kind of like a nice cap on this gender conversation we just had too
0: yeah, that's a good point. I uh, now that I see, I do have a note about that. We just got talking about coffee, and I'm kind of wanting a cup of coffee right now. Uh, yeah, that. So we get the psych evaluation mentioned that was cut from the earlier scene, right? We had we had Van Leeuwen talking about psych evaluations, but we don't need that, right? Cut that because we're going to have Burke tell us about the psych evaluations. Now, again, I think we're back in the the area of corporatocracy here. Like, does okay? She apparently still works for the company. Which is interesting, because why would she do that? Yeah, like It's really all she can get. Why would it be all she can get? I think it's because they kind of run everything. And then they have this guy can just go access her psych files anytime he wants. That's pretty much an invasion of privacy. I don't care if she works for the company. I don't think that anybody should be able to do that. So I think we're getting more of a hint of the overarching control that Willy and Yutani has. Uh, Could be we have it over Ripley's life now, but you could be assumed that they have that kind of control over a great number of people. But, of course, again, back to all the way back to Van Leeuwen again, I I, it always makes me cringe for for when a man talks about a woman's psychiatric state. I don't know why. It's just like it's like he's calling her a psycho. It's dismissive. And it's I don't know. And and I know that that's got to get her go. And that's what he's trying to do and and he's just such a it's so manipulative he's such an asshole in this scene and it it's the when you watch it in this isolated like 1 minute chunk and you sit and talk about it it really makes you hate him more uh, it kind of makes it hard to think that there was a time where maybe this would have been glossed over a little bit but oh I don't know and it convinces her it gets it gets to her and we we're going to have to wait till next week uh, to talk about it but it does get to her so I don't know. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, I think at this point she's in a place where she doesn't really have any reason to keep going. You know, like she's working a job that she has no interest in really doing. She's just doing it because it's what she could get. She's living in this tiny apartment. Um, you know, I think right now she's mostly just staying alive for the cat's sake.
2: It's just too much to say that she's doing it for the cat.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Poor Jones. You know, what would Jones do? Yeah, yeah, you're right. She doesn't have any family. She's got nothing. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. Like, I think that she is um, a resolute enough woman that she would keep going. I don't think she's going to commit suicide or anything like that. But when faced with this, she's, of course, at first going to deny the call. But... um, I think, in the end she's that's what she's kind of getting to her her worry about the families on l v four twenty six and the fact that she's really got nothing else to live for
1: yeah, uh,
0: so it's a good it's a good you know it's convincing i'm even though she it kind of is completely insane to think she would go back into this situation and and risk that it also makes a lot of sense
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: okay, well, that's all I got, yeah, It's good. Hey, Lindsay, why don't you tell us where we can find you on the internet?
2: Yeah, you can find me at twitter.com slash Um Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier in the week, I'm a writer for multiple places. Uh, Vulture, Birth, Movies, Death, Thrillist, uh, Refinery29. So yeah, always got new stuff coming out.
0: Great. And Scott, how about you?
1: Uh, you can find me at uh, my site, duelinggenre.com. Uh, where you can find my other podcasts, uh, Back to the Future Minute, which just wrapped up. We finished uh, Back to the Future Part Three, and uh, now we're sort of on a we're we're sort of on a hiatus as we slowly wrap up the show because we want to cover Back to the Future: The Ride, um, and then I think we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna end there. Um, but uh, we want to cover it because it does feature actors from the movie, and so uh, you know why not? And it, it's a fun, stupid thing to talk about um, and makes absolutely no sense that right is absurd and it's the greatest thing ever um, so uh, we're gonna be doing that and uh, then I've got spider-man minute which is sort of my my new thing uh, that I'm doing with my my co-host Zach Luna um, and uh, we're going through all of the spider-man movies one minute at a time We're we're about um, I think we're about like 30 40 minutes into the first Sam Raimi spider-man right now and uh, it is its a much more in-depth analysis of that movie than you would think that that movie would warrant. Um, (laughs) But uh, the Sam Raimi is a really great filmmaker. And uh, as we're going through the movie one minute at a time, we're discovering things about how that movie is made and structured and filmed. And I'm actually way more impressed by it than I even was uh, prior to deciding to do this. Um, so, uh, if that's something that sounds interesting to you, if you like Sam Raimi as a director, or if you just like Spider-Man, uh, check out, uh, Spider-Man Minute and then all the other stuff that we have at, uh, DuelingGenre.com. Um, and, uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm just, at, uh, at Scott Corelli.
0: All right. And of course you can find us at AlienMinute.com on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod or on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. And uh, thanks again here at the end of the week. I'll thank again uh, Pete and Alex over at Star Wars Minute. Thanks a lot, guys. Go over and check their show out. If you've never heard anyone talk about Attack of the Clones one minute at a time, you haven't. I, I know you haven't. Uh, but if you'd like to, you should definitely go over there and do that because that's the really the only way you're going to get any entertainment out of that movie. I'll just say that. Um, anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for the week. Thanks for uh, joining me, guys.
2: Thank you. Yeah,
0: thank you. All right. And we'll see you next week with Minute number 16.